It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports comments and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at sports topics uh, locally, nationally. We have a nice little betting segment. And, of course, my favorite part of the show, when you can ask me anything. And that means anything. And I'll try to answer to the best of my ability. Rick, how are we doing? I'm doing well. I've really, what I've enjoyed about the Ask Any Anything segment is it's become like uh, a Twitter segment now too of where people are like interacting and answering the questions themselves on Twitter. So I get entertained right before we go on air here. And as I'm putting the podcast together, I get to read these funny tweets of answering the questions. So it's good stuff. Uh, that, that's funny. I, li- I like that stuff. Um, we keep marching a little bit towards towards a regular sports calendar. We've watched the NBA bubble pull off with really nary a hitch. I mean, you've had a f- few injuries. Um, actually, a major one with Jaron Jackson of, of Memphis going down, but not COVID-related, just basketball-related. You've had some injuries in Major League Baseball. We've had the COVID issues, but they're plowing through. I'm uh, on my fourth day of covering Bengals training camp today, doing it remotely to this point. We're going to get a chance to, to go to practice starting on, uh, on August 17th and, and cover them there. We still won't be able to, to, to talk to players or coaches face-to-face. We'll still have to Zoom. But, uh, again, we're marching towards that a little bit. College football is plowing ahead as best it can. But um, high school sports the same way. They're trying to plow through as best they can. But, I mean, for now, Rick, I mean, you know, the next – we keep saying this, but, you know, the next few weeks you're going to know a whole lot, but, but we keep inching our way towards it, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the basketball thing has been pulled off really well. Yes. Uh, and I think we kind of expected that with the bubble situation. It just really is a, a very unique thing that basketball is in position to pull off. You know, they're spending a ton of money to do that. And it's worked really well. At the same time, it's not really a great model – for everybody else and to base anything off of because right. you know college athletics aren't going to be able to, to do a bubble and the NFL isn't going to be able to do a bubble. So the NFL will, will give us a better idea of how this will work. Now, granted, you can't necessarily apply the same uh, principles to the NFL, guys that are getting paid millions of dollars, as you can to college or high school athletes who aren't getting paid at all, of course. But it'll show you at least more of, of what you can expect going forward, I think. It, uh, did you see the Broncos? They have this uh, mist machine that they were spraying. Their players walk in and out of a mister as they're coming out for practice and going back in, and it's supposedly, like, killing all the the virus think- and everything off of them. I'm it, A really interesting thing. I have no idea if it works. I'm not smart enough. But if something like that is – effective at all it seems like why are we not putting those in front of every school i'm sure they're yeah, super that, expensive but i'm sure they are too that actually sounds pretty interesting to me um kind of like de-icing a plane right you de yeah you i mean contaminate the players well it literally looks like one of those like mist zones that you know yeah would be in the well, yeah, reds well, game or at king's island or something it's like that type of thing but supposedly it's uh killing all i don't know the science behind it but it's doing something to kill the virus so no idea if that works but i thought that was interesting i think the nfl and and some of these other professional sports leagues are in a good position to kind of innovate when it comes to fighting against this stuff it's interesting I think the Carolina Panthers um, are doing a thing where like every 10 minutes they blow a horn and the players have to scatter to make sure that they're they're socially distant for at least a period of time I don't know if you read my story fire drill yeah like a fire drill I don't know if you read my story the other day the the Bengals are doing one where they're wearing these like kind of little apple watch type things that, that beep red if you get too close and, and Zach Taylor, Jay Morrison, the athletic, asked Zach, and I was thinking the same thing when he asked it, 
Well, how did that go when you guys did the walkthrough? And he said, there was red everywhere. That's all you saw was red. But, you know, that's part of it. Um, the, 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 the device is supposed to alarm you that if you're too close to somebody, well, in football, you're going to be. But the point is, you just can't be close for no good reason, right? You, if, if you're going to do it playing, that's one thing. But I, I thought that was funny thinking you got these little red beepers going off as people are trying to play football. That would be a little disconcerting, I would think. Yeah, and, and again, I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I don't really know. But the logic of how that works is kind of uh, mind-numbing to me. I don't yeah. really understand how you're able to practice all day, but then, you know, back, back when you're outside of practice, then you, you make sure you're socially distanced because now – you know, now it would be harmful. So I don't know. It's uh it's all an interesting world that we're living in. And there's a, a lot of, a lot of questions that still need to be answered about all of this. Yes, indeed. All right. We got a lot to get to hit it off. The Reds are five and seven at the time of this recording on Thursday morning, which puts them in third place in the NL central behind the Cubs who are 10 and two and the Brewers at four and five. Based on the current standings, the Reds would not qualify for the playoffs despite MLB expanding the field to 16 teams this year. Skinny, there's still plenty of time to change, but based on what you've seen so far, give me a reason to be confident that the Reds will turn it around and a reason to be concerned that they won't. Oh, the starting pitching is the reason to be confident. I mean, it feels like it doesn't matter whether it's it's TJ Antone or Anthony DiSclefani or whomever. I think literally the only... I wouldn't even say great start. The only non-great start so far was the one by Wade Miley. I think everything else has been either very good to, to borderline great. And I think you can count on some of that moving forward with Sonny Gray and Castillo and Bauer and DeSclafani. I, I really think you can count on that. And look, do all four of them have to be great each time through the rotation? No, I can't expect that. But I think you can get two of them to be great, two of them to be good, maybe three of them to be great, one of them to be good. You keep doing that and put yourself in position to win games. I, I, I do think that you're going to start stringing some wins together. Let me, uh, let me ask you on the pitching staff yeah. real quick. How much credit do you give to Kyle Body or Bodie or who, whatever his name is, the, the guy who's really close with Trevor Bauer, worked with him, super into analytics. It's all about spin rate. They've done multiple segments uh, before the games with, where you're doing like the tech talks or whatever with Chris Welsh where they're talking to this guy and they're talking about spin rate and the stats are coming out where the Reds pitchers are among the league's leader in spin rate, which is hugely important to your fastball and curveball, as, as this guy would tell you, the Kyle Body guy who the Reds hired this offseason. How much stock do you put into that stuff? Because it does seem like even a guy like Di is is really pitching well so far this year. Yeah, I guess you got to give him some, and I, 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 you know, be better question asked to Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray and those guys. But yeah, well, Bauer's I, all in. I mean, that, yeah, no, that no, dude no, no question. Swears yeah. by all this stuff. But but it's also, I mean, Sonny Gray has been a pitcher in his career who's had good stuff. He tanked in New right. York, and he's not the first pitcher that's tanked in New York when he's gone there, and he won't be the last. Castillo, the Marlins just messed that up. That that kid, as soon as you saw him pitch here, you're like, oh, just harness it, man, because you've got everything you can want to be a great pitcher, and he's starting to do that. Bauer is a Cy Young guy. I mean, so, I mean, he's always had good stuff. DiSclefani, when he's been healthy, um, not dominant like he was Sunday, but he's also he's always been a, a quality starter, in my opinion, and certainly a great number four on a staff. So I think, I think it's a combination of, of probably what this guy is doing and the fact that you got some guys that, that also have some stuff. You didn't create Trevor Bauer's stuff out of thin air. You didn't create Luis Castillo's stuff out of thin air, Sonny Gray's stuff. They had stuff. But, yeah, and 
you know, you look at Garrett Cole, and that was supposedly, and, and some people wondered if it was his spin rate was doctored a little bit, but some of it was, um, you know, he his spin rate got a huge, hugely better when he was in Houston, and, and he's carried that into New York. So, um, I, I think you got to give the guy some credit for some of it because these guys have not just been good; they've been dominant good. Yeah, I wonder how much of it is the coach emphasizing the, the right things, getting these guys to focus on the right things, and they were already talented, so it's making them pitch their best. And how much of it is kind of just a um, a confluence of events where, you know, Trevor Bauer is in a contract year. We kind of expected him to pitch well. And as you said, he's shown it before that he can do it. Um, same thing with Sonny Gray. And then Luis Castillo is kind of the outlier on the staff because he doesn't have a high spin rate. He's relying on on his changeup as, as his out pitch for the most part. So he's a little bit different of a pitcher anyways and wouldn't necessarily subscribe to some of this stuff quite as much. It's interesting to me because I, I, I see that they make a big change in the offseason. They're clearly moving to a more analytical approach with David Bell as the manager, and it seems to be working So, uh, in terms of the, the starting pitching. So you can't argue with that. At the same time, I think you're right. There was a lot of evidence to already suggest that this staff was going to be good, whether you were coaching them or whoever it is. Yeah, no question. Now, the, the other part was was what am I pessimistic about? Is that what is that was? It, yeah, a reason to be concerned that they won't be able to turn it around. David Bell. I mean, over managing games, mismanaging games. I you can't keep wasting performance. The Amir Garrett thing the other night is still the most puzzling thing to so me. So explain ever. that to me. What's going on there? You don't pitch a guy who's been one of your best relievers, not just to start this season for an outing or two, but going back the, the last year or two. Why does he not pitch for a week? And then you bring him in in a game that you're already out of. And then you bring him in the next night when they're down 2 nothing, which I'm fine with. You want to keep the score 2 nothing, I'm, Okay, that's great. I'm fine with that. But wouldn't you also want to keep the lead at 2 to nothing? There were huh? multiple, multiple games in a row throughout that six or seven uh, game stretch where he didn't pitch where they needed some, They needed outs. They needed a reliever to get them out of, of tough situations. He would seem to be the top guy to me, aside from maybe Rizal Iglesias, who's your closer. I don't, I, I don't understand it unless this is, again, David Bell getting too cute because he's worried about the matchups, and the matchups say that the Indians smash lefties, and so he doesn't want to go with his left-handed reliever in that situation. If that's it's the case, Garrett, man. that drives me nuts. Yes, it's a mere Garrett, and that's where sometimes the analytics get away, get in the way. I'd rather look at my guys' analytics than their analytics. If their analytics say that they murder lefties, that's fine. But I got one of the better lefty relievers in the game. I'm going to use him, and especially on this staff, I'm going to use him. And it feels like it's almost he's gotten formulaic where he's got his seventh inning guys, or even his sixth inning, his sixth inning guys his seventh inning guys, his eighth inning guy, his ninth inning guy. And if you don't fit into one of those tubes, I'm not going to pitch you. And I told you this last week, and I'll stand by it, and I don't care what David Bell says about it. I don't care what anybody in the red says say about it. I am using Amir Garrett multiple innings. I'm using Rizel Iglesias multiple innings. I know Michael Lorenzen isn't pitching well right now, but he eventually will, in my opinion. I'm using him multiple innings. I'm using, if Pedro Stroke, for whatever reason, comes into a game and is dominant in his first inning, I'm using him for another inning. I, this, this whole formula, because the, the part for me, and I said it last week, I don't need three relievers. I don't think I can rely on three relievers to give me three, three good innings separately. I, I think that's, that's running a bigger risk as opposed to a guy on a day where he's just got good stuff. He's, he's one of your better guys. You would trust him in any situation. I'd rather have that guy go multiple innings, multiple batters, as opposed to going, boy, get me stroke through the seventh, Bowman, or not Bowman, Sims through the eighth, and Iglesias through the ninth. 
I'm asking three guys to throw throw goose eggs. That that to me is a is a riskier situation. And look, I know some of it is some of it is you think these guys are good enough as an organization and they need to do their job. And I'm not going to discount that fact, Rick. They need to do their job. There's no doubt. And the defense has not been very good either. And it's something we talked about. We said, listen, we don't think the defense has to be great and go make plays, but you can't give up extra outs. And this team's given up a lot of extra outs. Well, I'll go ahead and scratch off one of our Ask Skinny Anything questions here, which was, have you seen enough from David Bell to tell for certain that he has zero clue how to manage a pitching staff, particularly a bullpen? I would say check. That seems like you uh, have seen enough. <laughs> yeah, I just it, it just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. And it feels like I said, it's formulaic as opposed to occasionally my gut sh- says to me, damn, Amir Gert got through that inning on nine pitches and he mowed them down. You know what, Amir, go back out there for the eighth. I, I just... And that's the part to me, I think, for for a lot of managers in baseball that drive me crazy. I want to see a guy. Look, if a guy, you brought him in the seventh and he scuffled his way through it and you're thinking, man, thank God he got through that. Let's get Johnny in there. Get Johnny up in in this half inning and have him ready. Um, Okay. But if a guy just mowed people down, I'm running you back out there again. My plan for Amir Garrett would be, Amir, you got the next two innings, man. And unless you struggle, you're running through these next two innings. And instead – and in, in, it feels like there's been at least two or three pitching performances that have been wasted, and you almost had another one when Castellanos dropped the ball on Sunday. I almost had another one get wasted that you somehow survived. So, I, yeah, I, I just I don't trust his use of the bullpen at all. And I look, I heard him say it. Um, I guess it was the pregame show before the the Wednesday night Indians game that he he was asked, or maybe it was the post game the night before about if he has concern over the guys in the bullpen, and he said no. We think these guys are going to pitch well. And I, and I get that thought of it, of, you know, you think Lucas Sims can get you through an inning. You're expecting him to get you through an inning, and he doesn't. And he walks guys, and Strope get, doesn't, and he walks guys. But I, I'm not trusting. But there's, there's a reason some guys are back into the bullpen, right? And some guys are at the front of the bullpen. It's because the front of the bullpen guys, the guys that you expect, the Iglesias and the Garretts, they're closers and main setup guys for a reason. They have the best stuff. I'm using my guys with the best stuff more often than not. I've started to view baseball managers similar to how I view like the commissioner of sports. A lot of what, in a lot of ways, I feel like they're there just to be the, the punching bag. They're just there to take a beating from the fans to kind of be the figurehead, keep pressure off the players, uh, keep guys happy, but, but just be, be a lightning rod for criticism because everybody wants to criticize the manager no matter what or or the coach no matter what goes wrong and in baseball I don't think they have a huge impact on the game but it it gets to a point where certain things like managing your pitchers and just being too cute with your analytics and things of that nature where it can start to be a little jarring like when when I notice it and I'm thinking about it in every single game like what the hell is this guy doing now? And why is my brain in a pretzel trying to figure out what he's thinking here? It, it does start to become a, okay, w- what's going on? What's going on? And with David Bell, we have clearly hit that point. I'm not saying he can't manage, but I'm saying he better start proving something real quick here this year because I, I really don't understand his decision-making in a lot of these situations. And the Amir Garrett thing, it started with Shogo Akiyama. It didn't make any sense the way he was doing that. Um, and you saw, I don't know if you saw the tweet from Scooter Jeanette, uh, where he, where he mentioned something like that to see Trent Rosecrans about the, you know, the manager should let the guys play and start and play every day, uh, which I totally agree with. And then the same thing with the Amir Garrett situation. It's another one where it's just been like, 
all right, you're kind of losing me with stuff like that. A lot of the other stuff where everyone complains about the lineups and this and that, I can kind of let go because to be honest with you, I think it's, it's kind of uh, six one way, half a dozen the other. I, don't, I think in baseball, yeah. you can kind of do a lot of – you can do it a lot of different ways and there's no real right answer. Baseball people just love feeling like they know what's right. Um, it, it's a thinking's man game, so to speak. I think guys really get into the strategy of it and kind of overly so when in reality it's come down to just strike out, walk, home run for the most part in, in Major League Baseball. So, again – I don't want to. I don't want to say he can't manage, but we are really getting to a point with David Bell where I, I am definitely questioning him, and he better prove something really fast, or they need to get him the hell out of here because this stuff just isn't making sense at this point. Yeah, I, look, if you're a, a a modern major league coach, manager, executive, and you don't embrace analytics, you're stupid. Okay, and you and I both would agree with that, and I think anybody with common sense would agree with that. Um, but they're also ha- it can't just be managing by the numbers. This isn't paint by the numbers, managed by the numbers. There also has to be a human feel, a human gut decision um, on occasion. Uh, just my eyeballs showing me, like I said, damn, that guy just mowed those guys down, and I hadn't planned on using him for another inning. But you know what? He made that look so easy. I'm going to run him out there again. There has to be that. The thing that I think that makes it easy for managers when they use just pure analytics a lot of times is you just go, hey, I fell back on the numbers and the matchup said this and, well, the matchup didn't work. Well, okay, then I'll tell you what. I can get anybody to just go read numbers and go manage. That, that's not how you manage. Well, you manage people and you have to manage sometime by feel and by gut. And again, doesn't mean you ignore the numbers, you ignore the analytics, you don't do that, but you also have to do it with your gut and with a little feel and touch to it too. There's an art to that. And Skinny, to your point, the, the, to, for a specific situation, you don't even have to say like, you know, if a guy's mowing down. Let's talk about the Amir Garrett thing exactly. As a coach, you know, if you've been scuffling with your bullpen all, all year really, you haven't at any point felt like, oh man, we, we're really going to uh, hammer this win down when we turn it over to our bullpen. You haven't felt good about that at any point. They've been a roller coaster from the get-go. So you know as a coach, you're going to be feeling that, that kind of pressure and, and, and lack of confidence. And when you're in a situation where you've got a game you know you're in control of, you know you need a win, instead of sometimes you're just going to go to the guy, right? It doesn't matter what the numbers say. It doesn't matter if, if he's had enough rest, which in this case with Amir Garrity, he had plenty. But you're yep. just going to go to your guy because you go, he's a gamer. He's done it before for me. I've got confidence in him. It may not be the right play by the numbers, but he's my guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my guy. there's none of that coming from David Bell. It doesn't seem like, and I'm, I'm with you. Sometimes you just got to go by feel as a coach, regardless of whether they hit lefties well or not. You just go to the the guy who's best for the job. And I I find it hard to believe that Amir Garrett isn't coming up in those conversations at at late game scenarios. So uh, anyway, we can move on, but it it just, the Amir Garrett thing absolutely drove me nuts this week. Yeah, like I said, I just, I mean, he's the fourth choice in a 2 nothing lead, and then the next night you bring him in to protect the 2 nothing deficit. That, that sounds counterintuitive to me. While you're pitching guys for the second or third time in a row and he hasn't pitched in six days. Like, well, you Nate, literally Nate, got Nate, to a point where he was going to be rusty. Yeah, Nate Jones is a perfect example. I mean, Nate Jones on back-to-back nights with, with you know, past arm issues. Mm, not sure I'd do that. And he's looked good when he hasn't been going on back-to-back nights. It's like, why right. overuse Nate Jones at this? You right. know, why, why right. ruin his confidence? Anyway. Uh, skinny going to the offensive side. Uh, Nick Castellanos has been great. Nixon Zell has been good when he's been available. Joey Votto and Mike Moustakis have definitely had their moments. Aside from that, the Reds offense has been awful. 
The Reds are tied for the fifth lowest team batting average in baseball at 206. Most concerning has been Eugenio Suarez, who is just four for 41 through 12 games in batting .098 with one home run while leading the team with 14 strikeouts. Normally, you would say we're only two weeks in the season. It's way too early. But in a situation like this, where 12 games in is 20% of your season, you have less than two months left, do you think David Bell needs to be more proactive in handling slumping hitters? I think all managers do. And it doesn't mean – I was always I always use this example of Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn, as we know, is extremely streaky. So is Jay Bruce. But Adam Dunn I always thought was a perfect example because Adam Dunn was just as streaky as they would come. And, look, you don't know when the streak is going to start to get hot, but you can certainly feel when the streak is going the opposite way a game or two in. And to me, when Adam Dunn was going hot, he, would hit third, he should have hit third. And when Adam Dunn was going bad, he should have hit seventh. And I think I feel that way with Suarez. Look, I want him in the lineup every day because eventually he's going to come out of this. He will. The, the back of the baseball card suggests it. But when he's not, you can't hit him fourth. I mean, you can't. And that's where, for me, that's where the inflexibility comes in with managers as well of, well, he's my cleanup guy. I got to ride him in the cleanup spot. No, you don't. You can put him in the lineup. I want him in the lineup. But maybe take a little pressure off. Drop him down in the order a bit. Move some guys up. And I know you can argue with, with the point of, well, who the hell's hot other than a couple of guys. Right. I get that. But I know an 098 guy is extraordinarily cold. I do know that. Yeah, I don't – I kind of look at it from that perspective of what's your other option right now? I mean, there's not like, you know, anyone else has teared it up where you've got – you can do a little shuffling in terms of moving Moustakis or Castellanos into that four-hole maybe and, and shuffling guys around a little bit. Maybe you move um, Senzel up a little bit because he's been hitting well when yeah. he's been in there. But – I, I agree with you. I mean, there's not a ton you can do with this lineup right now when a lot of guys aren't hitting. But to your point, I do want Suarez in the lineup for the most part every day because he will break out of it and he is one of your best talents. But only three players have played in every game so far. With, with David Bell tinkering as much as he does, playing all the lineups and everything, subbing in and out, only three players have played in every game. Castellanos, Winker, and Suarez. There's the only guys that have played all 12 yeah, games. But, the guy who was hitting the absolute worst on your team has played in all 12 games. You can't sit him out for one game maybe, let him let him get himself right? I, I would ask you this, though. Who plays third base that day? Van Meter? He hadn't gotten a hit. <laughs> he's, got, he's, he's Clearly, he's not gotten a hit. Yeah, that's um, a fair point. I mean, Castellanos has played there before, but my God, he's a butcher in right field. He was he was moved to the outfield because he was a butcher at third base. I mean, I'm not sure you even have a very good, good, good um, secondary option to put there at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, your, your points, I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe you look, just, maybe you put Senzel there. I mean, it's not like the guy's never played there. You got a glut of outfielders. Maybe that's a way to do it for a day. Put Senzel at third, let him play there for a day. It's not like he ain't played it. Yeah. And again, how many ground balls are hit to third base in a baseball game at this point? Three, three to five. <laughs> if, and, that, and, and, if that, and I'm not, and I'm not asking Senzel to play a position he never played. What did he come up as? A uh, shortstop, right? Third base. Well, third base, third baseman yeah. basically is what, yeah. I mean, he was the third baseman in the minors. It's not, like, it's not like I'm going, hey, I know Pete Rose, you've never played third. Go take some ground balls there, tough guy, and try to play it. No, I'm going to ask a guy who's played it. It's not like it's foreign to him. So, yeah, maybe for a day, maybe it's him. But uh, some of it is in, in, the, in defense of David Bell. And it, I think you've seen it across baseball. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are struggling hitting. And maybe the short and truncated, you know, restart has hurt. I also – it feels like every night I'm watching teams – bring five guys in to throw 98 to 101. And no matter how much you can say, major leaguers can turn around a fastball. Yeah, if they make contact with it. It's still hard to hit a 98 to 100 mile an hour fastball. It's, it's very, very difficult to do. And it's even more difficult to square one up. 
Yeah, and uh, he ain't seeing a whole lot of fastballs right now to begin. No, you're right. So. I mean, he, I mean, he he took a couple swings over the weekend at breaking pitches that it was like you could tell he started to swing and realized what am I doing? Tried to he couldn't even hold it up. It was like a half-hearted three-quarter pitching wedge swing that he didn't have a chance to touch. And and he's a guy. I mean, he's been streaking his career too. And I'm telling you. Um, I, I let him battle through it, but I let him battle through it deeper in the lineup. And when he turns it around, and he will, I, he'll turn it around. The back of the baseball card, as I said, I suggest. In fact, you and I, um, before the season, we were looking at future bets. I said I was, I didn't make it because I didn't get to the the book. But I did. Um, I, I, I would have made a future bet on him winning the home run title in the National League. Yeah, that didn't work out so well for me. Well, it's. It, don't tell give, me it's early, Skinny. We're, no, we've but, only got but, 60 games. But, he, he, I mean, he's capable of hitting six home runs in an eight-day span. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I don't think – I think, you know, with some of the pace like Aaron Judge is on and stuff like that, someone's going to get to 20, and no, I don't think Suarez is right. going to get to 20. So, Legit uh, point. But, yeah, I, this is – that's something, the lineup stuff, things like this, I don't put as much blame on a manager for this. I think, you know – Moving him around might be a good idea. Sitting him for a day might be a good idea. But at the end of the day, there's always other points. Like you said, you don't have a great backup at third base. No one else is really hitting that well in your lineup right now. So this doesn't bother me nearly as much as something like the Amir Garrett situation. And a guy like Suarez, you can't sit him out. I mean, it's not like you're going to make a drastic move here. So this is a better question for if you've got a guy like um, if it was Senzel or Akiyama, who really ha- he is, he started off okay, and now he's kind of started slumping. If this becomes an extended slump for him, how long do you ride that before you just go with one of your other uh, outfielders? So I, I think well, pro- problem is, and I and I, and I love Philip Irvin against lefties, but he ain't hitting either. So I mean, right. Winker's not hitting, Irvin's not hitting, Akiyama's not hitting, um, Van Meter's not hitting, Suarez isn't hitting. I mean, there's a Galvis. I mean, there's a lot of guys, and it's. For that, I can't. I, I, I'm not going to put that onus on David Bell. But when you have a two nothing lead against Shane Bieber that you earned the hard way, I'm going to find everything I can do to hold on to that freaking game. All right, let's switch gears to football. The Power Five conferences and the AAC have announced their plans for the college football season. Cincinnati and the AAC is sticking with an eight game conference slate, and teams are allowed to play up to four non conference games. Meanwhile, Ohio State and the Big Ten are playing a ten game conference only schedule beginning on Labor Day. Kentucky and the SEC will also be playing a 10-game conference-only schedule beginning on September 26. All the major conferences except for the ACC decided to play a conference-only slate. The ACC had initially announced a possible 11-game schedule with an open spot for a non-conference game, with the idea being that several schools would maintain their rivalries with in-state SEC programs, as we've talked about Kentucky-Louisville, for instance. Skinny, what do you think of the conference-only schedules we're going to see in college football this year? Um, I'm disappointed the SEC one. I, I would have liked to have seen them keep the 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 one we talked about that last. I think it's so goofy that um, you that can travel people, all around right. Texas A&M and everything else, but you can't go to Louisville. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky can't go to Louisville, and, and Clemson can't go to Columbia for South Carolina, or vice versa. South Carolina going to, to to Clemson's campus to play, and Florida, Florida State, and I realize they're not exactly really close, but they're still close enough. Uh, Florida, Florida State are certainly closer than Florida coming up to Kentucky, or vice versa to play. Sure. I mean that 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 part I was a little disappointed in because I just hate to lose. I hate to lose rivalry games, especially in state in state rivalry games. Yeah. And, and um, th- that disappoints me. I, I, I said it last week. I get it. The, the thing that you can do with this is if you have to push the season back even further, because the SEC is going to start on 
what, the 26th of September, I believe, is their first game. I mean, you lop off two games, you lop off two games for everybody, and you're still playing the same number of conference games. You know, the Big Ten, you know, the fact they officially released it, we knew it was coming. I guess the thing that was a little disappointing to me is messing with the tradition of Ohio State-Michigan going from the end of the year to, um, you know, late October, mid-October. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not sure I get it. I guess the fear was that the pandemic wave, whatever, two or three comes back in November and you'd have to cancel. I, I still, I'm, not, I'm trying to figure out what the purpose of that move was, to be honest with you. I, I, I mean, if we're going to start playing and we feel good about finishing, I think we're going to finish. Um, I don't know. I think I understand that, um, but I do understand. The one that I don't get is trying to figure out what the hell the AAC is doing. Um, yeah, what, what was the plan? It sounds like they didn't have a plan, to be quite honest, unless so, they're all planning on playing mid-major, knowing that mid-majors will need some games. Well, I don't know. Well, okay, okay. So, so that comes to that, and, and um, I think it's a, it's a story worth pursuing for sure. Is, so, so for those that don't know, the Americans you mentioned, they're, um, they're going to play their eight-game conference schedule as originally scheduled. So wherever that fell in the schedule, and it can start on September 19th. UC does not play its first conference game till October the 3rd, I believe. And then they play their eight conference games there. UC's already lost one of its four non-conference games. And then they're, they're going to let them play four non-conference games, up two. It didn't say you have to play four, but you can play up to four, which is what you would normally play. But UC's already lost the game at Nebraska on September 26th. So their other three games right now on their schedule are a home game with Austin P on, on September 3rd, a home game with Western Michigan on September whatever that Saturday is, the 11th or 12th, September 12th, maybe maybe it's the 11th, maybe it's a Friday, September 11th, and then um, at Miami on September the 19th. So here's what I'm wondering, Rick. If you don't have fans or minimal fans, and I think we're trending towards minimal fans at best, right? 20%, 10% capacity. Yeah. How is UC going to afford to bring in Austin P and then afford to bring in Western Michigan? And how in the hell is Miami going to pay UC to come to their place unless it's a gentleman's agreement? I don't know the contract ins and outs of this. Because they play every year, they just say, listen, we're not giving you road money. We'll give you expenses for your road money, but you're not going to get a road check. We'll just – because we play every year flip-flop. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, but that's I a home and home. That's not a buy game. Yeah. So that no yeah. money has to exchange hands on that. I don't know yeah. – I assume UC is not going to Austin P, right? That's a bye game. No, that's a bye game, and and yeah. I don't think they're going to Western Michigan either. Yeah, so that that's a bye game there. So yeah, I, I don't know how UC will pay for those games. I don't know if those will still be played. You have the Mountain West, uh, which basically did the same thing. Um, I think the Sun Belt did the same thing. So there's a few teams in there that are you know kind of at the AAC level, I guess, where you can get a a decent non-conference game, maybe if everyone has their schedule cleared now. Uh, but I tend to think maybe this is more about giving the opportunity for all those teams to just lop those games off their schedule and only have to play eight games. Because like you said, they, they might end up losing money if they have to play the other games. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the major conferences weren't going to play them. So I assume maybe the plan was leave the option open in case any of the major conferences do want to reach out and try to figure out a, a scenario where they're playing like a, a conference and two, you know, like a 10 and right. two schedule or something like that. I, where we I can think still that be an option. Bad. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed though, Rick. Sure, I, I now it definitely has. But I, I think the AAC went in this with basically – very minimal plan saying let's make ourselves available to the major conferences if they want us. Otherwise we'll end up just lopping games off because we're not going to, like you said, we're not going to pay mid majors to come into our stadium. Yeah. I, I think UC's in a quandary and I, I'm interested to hear what they 
have to say about it when the time comes. Because here's the other thing. I mean, you know, if September 3rd is still going to be your opener, we're less than a month from them playing that, which also means you have to start to generate some level of ticket sales and you have to know what your capacity is going to be to generate those ticket sales, well, right? Well, look, I don't think you'll have any trouble selling the uh, 20 no, no, or whatever, I, especially for I, the UC team. I'm with you, but you also need to still sell them. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you would do it in walk-up sales with this, especially with this UC team, considering it's only going to be 20% of the stadium that you need to sell. I think they'll have more people wanting tickets than they'll be able to sell. So I don't think for UC that's an issue, but for some of the other teams in the conference, it'll certainly be an issue. Uh, but for UC, my big concern is this could – could be your last year of Luke Fickle. I mean, I know he signed and everything else, but it could be your last year of Luke Fickle. Any year could be your last Luke of, year of Luke Fickle, theoretically. You've got a, another really good squad, and with the way this thing is set up, the, the, the power conferences aren't going to be playing any of the smaller conferences. It feels a lot like they're going to be relegated to irrelevancy this bowl. year. Yeah, the bulk bowl. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, but it seems like, I mean, they're never really going to be in a serious conversation about what's going on in actual major football because well, there's well, going to be no non-conference on, games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I, I misinterpreted what you said. Yeah, as I say, because last year Memphis played in a major bowl. I mean, usually you get that. that, that uh, Right, but, the, but if you 16, have no opportunity to go outside no, right. your conference and get a win, you know, I mean, like those things, those storylines build because you get a big win against nope, a power no, no, conference, yeah, right? Yeah. Or someone yeah, in no your question. conference does and you beat that team, something like that. There's not going to be that opportunity this year. So I know UC fans will still be excited because they're going to have a really good year. They'll probably go undefeated in their eight game slate. Uh, but I just feel like they're going to be left out of the conversation for the most yeah. part no, because I, I the, the power five aren't playing anybody. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is what becomes of the, of the Power Five moving forward. Do they just say to hell with all this and see you guys later, have a good day? But what, what it, honestly, though, I mean, there's always been the talk of that. And now we're actually at a point where it seems like, okay, this is kind of a crossroads. Maybe something could happen here. But what is the actual advantage? Now that we're here, what is the advantage for the Power Five to just up and leave? Um, that's a great question. I, I guess the fact you don't have to pay for buy games. I don't, I, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, Rick. I, but that yeah, but they, but they, but they, like, no coach wants to only play these conference games. All the coaches want some cupcake buy games on their schedule. Plus, the schools need extra home games because they generate revenue with the home games. If you play an only conference schedule, the conference only schedule, well, I should say, but, I guess, but, but, you're not but, going but to be wouldn't. able to. But but you wouldn't you you'd play uh, you know you'd play an eight game SEC schedule and then Kentucky would play Louisville and play Indiana and play just just pick but, around. But what you, I'm you, saying, you, but I'm, but even in that scenario, all those teams are going to be like home and home deals where you're splitting your home right. and away games equally, just like an NFL team would. So then you're losing like all these teams play. Uh, what out of their twelve games, they all play seven home games or yeah, because usually your non-league is you're traveling one probably and playing three, uh, the other three at home or in certain years. Right, they make uh, a ton of money doing that. There's a reason right. they do it. So right. if you all of a sudden got to play half your games on the road, they don't want that from an institutional level because of money. And then the coaches don't want to play nothing but impossible games because if you're the coach at Kentucky, you want to live off of your. You're seven and five. You're eight and four, saying we had a winning record by scheduling those cupcakes early in the year, even though you never win anything relevant in the SEC. Well, and the same for an Alabama. I mean, you don't want to. Uh, no coach wants to play twelve extraordinarily sure. difficult. You lose games. your I, job. I, I, well, and that grinds on the players too. You can't get players through a schedule like that either. They got to have a week off where the starters play a half and sit a half. I mean, you have to have some of that 
as as well. Hey, I do want to touch on on UConn walking away from the season, and I just love the fact that they <laughs> use COVID nineteen as an excuse. We yeah. were concerned about our athletes being at risk. Just no. end your program, dude. Exactly. I mean, come on, dude. Don't give. I, I looked at Randy Edsel. He looked like he was talking into his phone as he was trying to tell us on a Zoom call um, exactly why that they were concerned about their athletes, and it just wasn't worth it to to us to to put our kids at risk. You lying sack of. Just explain why you're doing it. That you know what? Our football program sucks. It's irrelevant. We can't afford it. And this was a good way for us to opt out. Night night. Yeah, just opt out for life. Like, right. I, why, why are you even keeping this charade going? You've moved back to the Big East, which, by the way, fortunately, I did not have to change my Big East football rankings with UConn deciding not to play this year. It worked out <laughs> really they, well from a. Would they have still? Here's my question: Would they have still been number one? Well, they would have been last for sure. Okay, I guarantee you that. Um, yeah, but the, I, I like why. Why are we keeping the charade going of even acting like you're going to be a football school at any point in time? You don't even have a conference right now, right? I mean, they're just out in no man's land still. Like, correct. That's probably correct. a big they're, part of it. They had no idea what the hell they were going to do, even if they were going to try to play. That, that's completely that. It's it's the financials and the fact that they could not cobble together. Just to, just say, it. just stop. Just quit trying to say play it. football. Do away with it. Oh yeah, yoy. All right. Yes. Skinny, let's, let's switch gears to college basketball. Now the deadline for basketball underclassmen to withdraw from the 2020 NBA draft passed at 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Monday night and as expected, Xavier's Najee Marshall and Ohio State's Caleb Wesson kept their names in. However, UC players Chris Vogt and Keith Williams pulled their names out of the draft in the days leading up to the deadline. All five of UK's players who put their names in the draft stayed in, a list that includes Ashton Haggins, Tyrese Maxey, EJ Montgomery, Emmanuel Quickly, and Nick Richards. First of all, do you think the pandemic factored into any of these decisions? And second, now that the rosters are mostly set for next season, who do you think has the better squad on paper, Cincinnati or Xavier? I'll save that question for, for after we look at the, the other part of it. I, I think it did for some players. I don't know in particular with the guys that you just mentioned, Rick. I think Caleb Wesson was always gone. Um, I, Najee took me by surprise, but I called you, and, and, and I know it didn't take you by any sort of surprise. I guess I just didn't think about it um, whatsoever when he had declared and the fact the deadline came and went, um, et cetera. So those weren't surprises. None of the five Kentucky guys were surprises. Um, at, at all, and I don't think it's any surprise that both Chris Vogt and Keith Williams came back. I know everybody freaked out when they put their names in. Of They, they were looking to get evaluated. It kind of sucks in this season that they couldn't get evaluated. I do think for some guys, though, you saw a rash of guys um, who will be, I think, juniors or seniors in college pull out of the draft, probably the most notable uh, Luca Garza from, uh, from yeah. Iowa, um, and probably for him it was not getting a fair evaluation, and he's one of the, probably a kid that's understanding enough and smart enough to realize – um, look, if, if, if I can't know where my draft stock is, I might as well just go back and try to improve it again next year. Um, some guys don't do that. Some guys don't want to do that. Some guys just want to go play wherever they can play to make a buck. Um, he's probably a kid that maybe he's got, got the wherewithal to not have to do that, et cetera. Um, you always see his father in the stands. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he comes from a, from a fairly not affluent family, but at least affluent enough um, where he doesn't have to make that, that tough decision. I do think it affected guys like that. Uh, but, yeah, the guys that we're talking about, I don't think it had any anything on their decision. I guess, like I said, Najee surprised me personally. But I, I know you and I have talked. I talked to other people. It didn't surprise anybody, his decision. Yeah, uh, to be quite honest, I don't know that Najee even had the option to come back to Xavier. Right, I think right, everyone right. was just kind of done with Najee being in college at this point. Um, and, and, you know, he had a good run while he was at Xavier. They didn't win as much as anyone would have liked. But 
Uh, obviously, he put up some good numbers. And I think he has a chance to, you know, I don't know if it's at the NBA, but he's definitely going to make some money playing basketball somewhere. Uh, but the UK guys are the only ones where you question maybe, like if there's a, a little more clarity on what's going on next year, that possibly it would have helped one of them come back, you know? I, um, I don't think any of them were coming back. I just don't. Maybe, I don't. maybe I'm wrong. I don't either, but I do wonder, like, you know, with so many guys deciding to come back, if some of them weren't just like, hey, this might be my chance, you know, like uh, – and again, I think most of those guys in that situation were gone no matter what. So, uh, but you've seen a few guys recently, uh, like PJ Washington, for instance, come back that extra year. Nick Richards come back that extra year and really elevate their stock. So, I thought maybe it would be possible with one of those guys, but um, it didn't seem to be in the cards. It wasn't in the card with Najee. It wasn't in the cards with Caleb Weston. For UC, I think UC fans were always confident that Chris Vogt and Keith Williams were going to be back. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's been really much of a surprise here at all. But Iodasumu from uh, Illinois coming back, Luca Garza, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a few others that are going to be potential All-American type guys that decided to return to college basketball. And it feels like recent in recent years when there have been those types of guys considering going pro, They've always made the decision to go pro for the most part. Very few of them have come back. To see multiple come back in the same year, it really gets you excited about the potential for this college basketball season, assuming we have one, obviously. Um, and that's the, the unfortunate part of it, even for those guys, is there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, but I, I have to imagine most of them waited to the last minute to get as much information as possible about, do you think we're really going to play or not? And I think what a lot of them heard from coaches, people around college basketball is college sports won't survive without the NCAA tournament. We are going to play college basketball this year at all costs. And that's been the message I've heard when I've talked to coaches. So I think that's what sort of the feedback that these guys got that made them more confident about returning to school for one more year and trying to raise their stock again. Um, Yeah. And and the other part, again, like I said, they just, didn't get a great evaluation process this year. Yeah, no oh, no question about that. Uh, but I feel like it, that part probably – the unknown tends to work well for prospects, right? Like NBA – Well, for high-level guys, but not for that guy that, that's thinking he's going to get picked at some point and hopeful. Um, the, the high-end guy, yeah, the, the, the unknown is always the best. Yeah. You know, you, you can draft the, Nick The guy Richardson, they see the least the is always the best, right? Right, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's answer the second part of that. UC Xavier. This is a really interesting year for both teams because uh, a lot of new parts. Yeah, they're relying on so many new parts. It's kind of a changing of the garden how they're going to play. I, I think UC has a little more experience, but for me, it, it really comes down to David DeJulius getting that waiver, the the transfer right. coming the in Michigan, from Michigan. Michigan. Yep. Yeah. If if they have him at point guard, that gives them another experience piece but more importantly in my opinion it gives them a go-to scoring option a guy that is willing to be the guy to take the shot I think Keith Williams is really good but he has never really been the number one on a team in terms of the go-to scorer and I don't know if he's fully comfortable being in that role full-time so if you get to Julius the waiver I think he will be very comfortable being in that role and and being a lead guard who who scores a lot and then you still have Keith Williams as a as a a really good sidekick to that um, and maybe even your leading scorer, but just not necessarily the guy who always has to take the shot. Uh, and then vote gives you an experienced big man who's already proven he can score inside at the AAC level, even if his defense and rebounding sometimes leaves a bit to be desired. So 
Uh, if you're asking me to take like a futures bet on uh, win totals, I'd feel probably more confident about UC, especially if David DeJulius gets that waiver. On the other hand, I like Xavier's talent better overall in terms of their young guys. Like I think a year from now, I like where Xavier's going to be, but there's just a ton of uncertainty. Uh, Paul Scruggs is, is a veteran player, but after that, you're asking Kiki Tandy and Zach Freeman to take massive steps forward, and you're asking transfers or freshmen to, to fill, step up and fill major roles as well. Yeah, I mean, I think exactly what you said. It was funny because I was drawing a complete blank on the kid's name from Michigan. So as soon as you said it, I went, yeah, exactly what I was thinking. Um, I think he would make a huge difference if he's, if he's eligible to play. So let me ask this part of it then. If Najee had come back, who would you have taken? I think Xavier would be the, the team you take then because you have an, another veteran piece. Like both teams are, have a changing of the guard going on to where you're just not certain mm-hmm. of what you're going to get out of certain guys. If Xavier had Najee Marshall and Paul Scruggs to go with the shooting, they're developing around that with Wakiki Tandy, with the Zach Fremantle. It wasn't quite there last year because those guys were still freshmen, but you saw towards the end of the year, they started playing two big men together because Fremantle proved he could stretch the defense a little bit and knock down a, a three occasionally. And Kiki Tandy started doing more than just jacking up the occasional three and started driving and opening some lanes and making some plays. I think you saw them become a more uh, diverse offensive team and, and that made them better. So uh, Paul Scruggs got hurt at the end. They lost those three games in a row to finish the season. Otherwise, I think they would have finished the season on a high note and people would have felt a lot more positive about things heading into this year. So yeah, if Najee Marshall was coming back, I think I'd go with Xavier. Man, doesn't it just feel so empty to think about how last season ended? Oh my God. And I, I, feel mean, ba- I do feel bad for Xavier fans, especially because, you know, Scruggs goes down, you lose to DePaul in that game where everyone felt it was like you win and you're definitely in, you lose and, you know, you're, you're really sweating it out and, and possibly, I think Xavier fans all felt they'd be out. I think there was still a chance they would have gotten in even after that loss, but still, I mean, yeah, it was just a total hole for pretty much all college basketball fans after the way last season ended. There's no way we won't have an NCAA tournament this year. Um, I would tend to agree with that. I just um, I want to see how this fall plays out to see when that season would start. I mean, I mean, there's always that potential of just playing your conference games in January moving forward and then the tournament. But I'm with you. I mean, if we don't have an NCAA tournament, then obviously this virus has gotten us again in a worst way and, uh, and, and we'll be in a bad place. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I can't imagine not. All right, Skinny. Final question here before we get to our Ask Skinny Anything segment. It is a massive sports weekend. Golf, MLB, NBA, and NHL will all be in action. So I ask you, what are you most excited to watch this weekend? The PGA Championship, NHL playoffs, the MLB, or the NBA? I'm going PGA. I'm a, I'm a golf nerd. I've said it before. Um, I love golf. I, 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 you know, I, I'm just a golf nerd. I, like, I love golf. Um, and when the majors come along, I love it even more. Um, you know, MLB, it's still regular season. It's not, I'm not going to watch the Reds this weekend. I'll watch. The NBA, um, if it's a, a good matchup, I'll probably flip to it, but we're still not at the playoff stage yet. And the NHL, while they're at the playoff stage with some of those things, and I do have a couple of future bets on teams winning the, the, the Stanley Cup, um, it, it would be fourth on my list. So for me, for sure, the PGA Championship. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a golf guy. Uh, but like, but like you mentioned, the NBA and MLB just being still in the regular season mode. Uh, the NBA is my favorite out of this group, but I think there's least on the line right now in the NBA. These last few games are kind of meaningless. You're well, and, out- and you're and, and you're starting to see guys get being sat too, right? Because yeah. you know, 
know, poor Mike Budholzer, they're, they're, they're clamoring for his job in Milwaukee. And it's like, dude, I sat my starters in the whole second half. What do you want? Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, crazy season is full swing. But people haven't had sports in a while, so they're going right. nuts, right? Um, the, the PGA Championship, here's, here's what I'm going to need. We're going to have to do our betting segment now. I need hmm. you to give me something good to bet on in the PGA championship, because I want to watch the PGA championship while I'm watching the reds uh, while I'm watching some NBA, but I need something to bet on to get me interested in it. So what do you have for me? Give me some picks. Well, I've got multiple. I, I put a hundred dollars in, uh, in the machine and I, I picked some, some winners, but I also had a couple of guys as top five finishes and, a, and uh, one as a top 10. So here, I'll run down my laundry list of what I've got. I've got Hideki Matsuyama at 40 to 1 to win. I've got uh, Tyrell Hatton at 50 to 1 to win. Now, granted, I've only made like, let's see, the Matsuyama bet's $8 to win 320. The Hatton bet is $7 to win 350. Um, the bet I really like a lot, and I got it at 4.5 to 1. He can't win. He doesn't win. He's never won, but he grinds out top 10 finishes is. I put out of my bankroll, I put $20, um, actually $24, because I want to make sure I got it over 100 So at the very least, I break even. If Tony Finau finishes in the top 10, he's capable of winning. He's capable of a top five finish, but he's almost definitively a top 10 finisher, in my opinion. And to me, that, that bet was made as much to, to, for this ticket to break even. I, you know, I've made some bets to, to try to win, to win a little bit of money. That, to me, is, a, is, a, is my favorite one of all. I so love my Tony Finau finish in the top ten is what I'm. Yeah, uh, yep. I got it's. It, I got it at four and a half to one plus four fifty. All right, I like that. I like that. What? I, anything else you like? Yeah, keep. I'll keep going here. I love Gary Woodland at forty five to one to win. I got him eight dollars to win three fifty. Um, where's my top five? I got Woodland also. I got two on Woodland. I got Woodland finishing the top five as well. I just feel good about him this week. He's eight to one to finish in the top five. I like that one. Uh, my long shot play of the week was Shane Lowry at seventy to one. I got five to win three fifty five. All right, five to win three fifty five. Like this oh, guys. I'm sorry, and I've got and I've got young Colin Marikawa to finish in the top five as well. So I'm I'm hoping to cash a couple of the top fives, a top ten, and maybe get lucky and get a winner and walk away with a couple hundred bones. All right. Well, there you go. So I, I don't really have anything to offer on that side of things. I'm not just going to throw random PGA picks at you. So I'm going to tail Skinny's picks this week. Uh, you guys feel free to do whatever you want to do. Feel uh, free to that, fade them if you want. Yeah, that was, our, that was our betting segment for this week. A little PGA action. But yeah, for me, I'm going to watch the PGA stuff, but I'm going to have to bet to, to get me through it, I feel like. So. All, right, all right, really quickly on our betting segment, though, because we talked about some of the NBA futures last week that we liked, right, for, the, for yeah. winning it all. As, Are you feeling better you? or worse? Uh, well, the, the, the Ben Simmons injury could change some things for my Philadelphia play. And yeah, the more I keep watching, the more I keep watching Toronto, I'm not so sure they're not the best team in the East. I don't know if they can beat anybody in the West this year, but they look to me like something about Milwaukee's bugging me right now. And it's not the fact they lost to Brooklyn. Cause like I said, he sat his, I think he sat all starters in the whole second half of that. That, that one didn't bug me. Something just doesn't feel right. I don't know why or what, and maybe I'm wrong. I am feeling good about my Rockets pick. I still think they got, they're, they're going to be a very difficult out. Um, I love our Mavericks pick, dude. I, for a long shot, I'm, I'm liking them more and more. And I'm, I'm feeling, I don't know. The Lakers have looked good when they've, they've had, again, they, they lost last night, but it, they didn't play LeBron, what, the whole second half, right? Or the whole yeah. game? Uh, I think it was the second half. Yeah. Um, so, again, I, I, can't, I have to take that with a grain of salt. And when he and Anthony Davis have been playing together, they've looked superb. But I still – I just couldn't take them at the, at the price. Um, the Clippers are going to be interesting when they get 
Lou Williams back, and he was back, I believe, yesterday or the day before, whatever the hell the last time they played was, because um, they didn't, you know, they almost beat the Lakers that first night without him. Uh, so, I, I, again, I'm not feeling worse. I can't tell you I'm feeling better, but I'm not feeling worse other than the Ben Simmons injury has me a little concerned about Philly. Yeah, I'm with you on on Philly. I'm I'm liking that pick a little bit less. Um, the one thing that that the one team that I have been really intrigued by, but the thing is, they're still in ninth in the Western Conference. Is the Trailblazers right? Um, right. With them getting the big men back, they can really give you some different looks there. And I think they run out of gas, Rick. They're only playing eight guys. I think eventually they run out of gas. I, I'm with you though. I, I, if I'm a one seed and they get in. If I'm the Lakers, I don't want to see him. No, I mean, Dame, Damian Lillard is just ridiculous when he He's gets going. And then Zach Collins in the inside, um, playing with multiple seven-footers around him. He's been a little rusty in his return from injury. But if he – I really like his talent. And when you go, like, two seven-footers at the same time, it can be an interesting matchup for some of the other teams that are playing this small ball style. So, I don't know. There, there's a, there's, it's been fun to watch because it – it's tough to know how much you should take away from these games because teams at the top really aren't playing for anything. They're just trying to get it rolling. Teams at the bottom are all trying to play their way in still. And then the, you got the middle of the pack who are just kind of – some of them look great. Some of them are like – look like they didn't even want to come. So it is going to be a, a really fun NBA playoffs, I think. But these last few games as we ride out the regular season, I understand why people aren't exactly tuning in right now. Yeah, by the way, um, one other thing I don't like about Portland, one thing I don't like, I like the way Portland's playing. The one thing I don't like, their announcing crew. Horrible. Just horrible. <laughs> All right. Hashtag ask skinny anything. You send them, you send your questions in. We'll ask them to Richard Skinner. We'll start off with this one. What's my man's favorite dip? And if it's buffalo chicken, he needs a number two. <laughs> Uh, green onion, man. You give me green onion and a bag of chips and it's not healthy and I don't do it very often. I could, I could honestly probably plow through a bag of ruffles with green onion dip. I'm not going to lie. Just your standard and you put, chips and dip. Yep. And you can put, you can put veggies in there too. You can scoop some celery through it. You can scoop some broccoli through it. Um, green onion dip for me. And it kind of goes along with what I talked about on a, on a episode a while back, the green goddess from, uh, from the melting pot. It's got a little bit, green goddess is a little bit close to that. But for me, green onion dip, the problem with it, though, is your breath is rancid for like three days and you have to suck on mints and brush your teeth 55 times. But damn, if that stuff ain't good. Yeah. Because Ru- the, ru- the thing with the ruffles is it's got just enough saltiness to it to, to kind of – it's almost like the perfect, perfect snack food. It really and truly is. It's just so unhealthy for you. You just can't do it very often. I'm a, uh, I go Fiesta Ranch number one. That's my number one dip of all time. Very simple. I've, I've tweeted out the recipe multiple times if you want it out there. Um, buffalo chicken, number two. Rotel dip, number three. Guacamole, number four. Not a guac guy. I'm not a, that's one thing I can't, I can't, I'm not a guac guy. And spinach and artichoke dip, number five. Yeah, that's, I know you like that. I, that's my I'm top not five. A big, I'm not a big spinach artichoke dip guy either. Um, I do make a kind of a dip for, for hot pretzels, though. Try this oh. one on. Get yourself a little mustard. Squeeze the mustard into like a cup of whatever kind, some hot sauce, stir it around, heat it up for about five to 10 seconds. Makes a great pretzel dip. So hold on. Mustard mixed with what? Hot sauce. Frank's hot sauce. Hot sauce. Frank's okay. Red Eye. Yep. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's a good dip. I mix everything with hot sauce. So that sounds great to me. Well, that's, that's a good point. So do I. 
Yeah, I, that, that sounds right up my alley. Um, favorite breakfast meat, bacon, sausage, or getta? Getta is an absolute nada. Don't like it. I'm, I know that I'm probably a rare Cincinnatian that does not like getta. I know people that, that when people like getta, it's almost a religious experience for them. They love getta, and they love specific getta from specific getta makers. Just can't do it. I don't yep. know why I can't. For me, it's clear bacon. I, I, one of the things, one of my – one of my indulgences is when the Bengals have a home game, for whatever reason, they make bacon better than anybody on this planet. And so I will usually get myself a salad to go along with whatever entree they're serving that day. And I don't be gluttonous with the entree. It's usually like a piece of meat and maybe a couple of green beans, and I'm good there. But a good salad topped with about 20 strips of bacon. <laughs> not healthy, not in the least. But damn if that bacon on a Sunday morning, usually after you know what a Saturday night is like for most people, at least yeah. for me. Yeah, that bacon that bacon hits the spot with that salad. I'm not gonna lie to you. Look, so bacon, I bacon by far. There is something magical about the crispy bacon at Paul Brown Stadium on a Sunday when you're and it's you're usually fabulous. eating around what like 11 a.m., 11:30, right. something like that, right. probably right. before right. a Sunday game. So yep, right after yeah, that, I mean, it's right about 11:45. Yep. Yeah, that 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 is a good time. I, I I like it, but I will say just to give people an idea of what type of bacon you like. It is basically like bacon crackers. It is overcooked, little, little crappy pieces of bacon. It is not good bacon at all, but for some reason it is good. I don't know why it is not quality bacon. Uh, it, what I the really funny part like for me is, is I, I, I can do bacon either way. I don't, mind, I don't mind it undercooked either. I like it when it's a little bit on the soft side, but either way for me, bacon is just, it is, it is, it is, it to me is a religious experience. Bacon's fantastic. Um, the, what I really like is at uh, Finley Market, one of the butchers in there does like the real thick um like yes almost like candy that's, type bacon and they'll yeah, do like different flavors we got obscenely good we got grippos oh, wow. flavored bacon and um cooked it in the air fryer and it was fantastic so i highly recommend seeking that out my favorite meat definitely getta speaking of which saturday this year getta fest was canceled down at newport on the levee so saturday for my birthday we are doing our own little mini getta fest here and just eating, making like three getta dishes and picking out. So there you go. And it's funny and funny sausage is in the middle then probably for both of us, right? Or sausage. At the no, sausage is last. See, I like Definitely. sausage a lot. The one thing I don't like, and this is going to sound weird and maybe it stems from my, if youth. you say chorizo, I'll punch you in your no, throat. No, 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 okay. no. I, 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 sausage links bother me. I, yeah, I, like I'm not, I don't like sausage links either. And, and I'll, I'll tell you the reason why when I was a, when I was a growing up, my father, would get up for work and leave early. My mother worked usually a lot of times she worked a weird midnight or I'm sorry, a noon to eight shift. She worked for for Delta airlines in reservations and she just had a weird shift. So my dad, he worked for American airlines, but he worked downtown. He'd be the one that would go off and work the nine to five job. So he'd be the one responsible for, for getting breakfast for my sister and I growing up, or as we got older, we would do it ourselves. But when he did it, he, my, my, my dad, I love him. He could cook, but he just was not going to cook in the morning. So his favorite thing, if we wanted to have something was either a bowl of cereal, which is pretty easy. Or when he wanted to splurge, and he thought he was splurging, he would make brown and serve sausages. Have you ever had a brown and serve sausage? Yes, Rick? sir. Got to be the worst thing ever. Yeah. And what I a lot of Dipping times a I would syrup. Well, a lot of times what I would do was I'd kind of stall while my dad would cook it. He'd go up, make a shower and shave. My sister would come down. I go, "You eat mine. I ain't eating them. I mean, <laughs> I'm just not gonna do it. I ugh. And it's kind of turned me off to sausage links ever since. Yeah, that stuff's nasty. But sausage links in general aren't good. I like sausage when it's crumbled like a topping on pizza or okay. like in a in a bowl of some sort, like a hash bowl. That's how I like sausage. So I like chorizo better usually because that's usually more – they usually use it crumbled up in – It is crumbled, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, Geta, there we go. Um, I like this question. Rank the Richards. Um, they had us included in here, but I mean, what are, what are we going to rank ourselves for? Uh, Richard Nixon, Rick Pitino, and Rick Ross. Rank them, Skinny. Uh, Rick Ross has got to be number one, right? Amen, brother. That's what I said. <laughs> um, I'll go. I'll go Patino over Nixon. Patino and Nixon hurt. Nixon hurt an entire country. Patino only hurt himself and uh, his family's reputation. That's yeah. All. And think of all the jokes and content we've gotten at Patino's expense over the last five Correct. years of our Correct. lives so and, and i and i will say this as a basketball coach i still respect rick patino as much if not more than any coach ever yeah as a I basketball mean, coach maybe the best of all time like as much yes. as people talk about coach k and all that rick patino is a better basketball coach than coach k and it's not even close yeah no I, i'm with you so I'm, I'm gonna have to rank rick patino second and richard nixon comes in third uh, i'm with you that that's was my great. my that's, rankings that's exactly it's a, a great question for the record i had you up with rick ross then a big gap wow between between Rick Pitino, Richard Nixon after that. So, wow. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Uh, what posters did you have in your room while growing up? Uh, I had the pervert. Oh, I'll tell you, I had the proverbial Farrah Fawcett one. Like oh, all of us did. That's right? what the guy said. I.E. Farrah we, Fawcett. We all, yeah. There's no question. We did. But in college, when Flashdance came out, I, I, I think I fell in love with Jennifer Beals and I still might be in love with her to this day. And she had this just awesome flash dance poster. So I, I, in college, you really didn't do posters a lot in college. You were kind of past that. But I, I did put a Jennifer Beals poster up in my room. I just I, I could not help myself. But yeah, I had the fair fall. Everybody had the fair fall. And yeah. the one thing I did, the one thing I did have, I didn't have a lot of posters. My dad somehow um, got me a couple of cool like big ass pennants, like a big ass Reds pennant and a big ass Bengals pennant. <laughs> And those were up on my wall. They were really cool. One of them was like it was like a 1970s. I think it was the 1970 Reds, Reds team that went to the World Series. It's kind of an it's not personally autographed, but it's one of those ones where the autographs are on there. If you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like printed on. Um, yeah, printed on there. I had that up on my wall. Um, I always thought th- those things were really cool. I've got them somewhere. I've got a big locker of stuff out in the garage with a bunch of stuff from when I was a kid. That was that the proper brand name you were calling them by? Big ass pennants. <laughs> big ass pennants. I don't know what else they were called. It just it was a big ass pennant. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. Uh, I didn't do a lot of posters. I think we had a couple at some point, but I, I for a lot of my life, most of my life, I shared a room with my younger brother. I mean, we're really close, and I, I mean, I loved it. People always complain about it. I love sharing a room with my brother. And uh, we, what we would do is we would like cut up ESPN and Sports Illustrated magazines and like cut out pictures. And so yep. we'd do like whole walls with just the pictures like taped over like a, um, a little collage basically. And then you, you, would, you, would you change them out or you just let them sit up there and crinkle their way to, to, to no, end No, those? I think you just keep taping, like keep putting more up over them kind of. So you keep filling it more and more kind of. Okay. You know? um, I would tell you, uh, basically a whole wall was Mike Vick and Ricky Williams for me. <laughs> those were like my two favorite athletes in high school, for sure. Um, LeBron James was way up there. A lot of LeBron James on that wall. And then the can old I, can, school guys are Tim Duncan and, and David Robinson for me. After a while, did the Michael Vick and Ricky Williams poster smell like pot? <laughs> well, the, the whole room did, Skinny. What are you Well, okay. Me? That's my bad. That's a good call. <laughs> I thought uh, I, I meant just the poster themselves. Oh, here's the thing. Maybe did, did the posters share their pot with you? <laughs> no. Or did you share with them? Or did you, you share with them? Now, could you imagine if Ricky Williams was like a celebrity now? They would, in California, they would just do giveaways. Oh. With a poster and a, a dime bag, probably. Scratch and sniff. Yeah. The, the Ricky Williams Kush. <laughs> 
Would you rather win a $5,000 lottery or be guaranteed your favorite sports team wins the championship in the next five years? If championship is picked, what team? Well, we already no. know it would be UK football for you. No, yeah, no, I don't. Look, I, I, I might have a rooting allegiance for a team here and there, but honestly, I'm taking the five grand. Uh, the hell with that. I don't care if a team wins. I don't. Uh, give me the money. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, what, would you, what would you do? Don't, don't tell me. You, if you tell me you'd be, you'd be happy a team won a championship over taking some cash, you're crazy. I mean, five grand for NKU to win a title? I might make that trade. It's fi- it's not like I have to pay five grand. It's just five grand I'm not going to get. I can make five grand. That's not. I'm taking the five the, grand. Hell, we can make five grand on a 16 parlay. I just Speaking of which, I had a 16 parlay last week. I didn't yes, bet you anything did. on it. <laughs> didn't yes, bet anything did. on it. That's incredible. It was a $1 parlay but you hit it you yeah, did hit it i had a 16 parlay off a one dollar bet last week wait, wait, which got NBA you back 50, it got you back 59 to one it <laughs> yeah. just kind of sucks you didn't have like 10 bucks on that 59 to one yeah it was one of those situations where you just have a odd amount in your account so you throw a dollar at something and i happened to win a 16 parlay that i didn't even check to see if i won until i went to make my next bets so see i, I look I, I get why fans are fans but at the other day, when a team wins a championship, or lo- I, and I love when fans just get so distraught when their team loses, and I almost want to tell them at times, you know, these players play hard, but for them it's a job, and they don't – a lot of times players don't take those things as personally as you do. Yes. I think fans would be amazed at that. I really do. And that's why, for me, I don't take it personally as a fan of a team. That's well, Give me the five grand. I'll take that personally. Especially think about if you've bounced around multiple teams in your in your career. Right. It's basically right. like you've moved jobs multiple times. Do any of you right. feel that close to your third or fourth employer now where you're right. like, man, I'm going to cry when we win this championship together? It's like, right. for the most part, not. Like Sometimes you have a special team or group that you're close with, or maybe you're a guy who spent your whole career with a team and the city means a lot to you. I get all that. I'm not saying that doesn't happen in sports, but I'm with you. A lot of these guys, they're, they're bouncing around city to city. It's a job to them. They're not in love with your team or your city or city. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I might take, I mean, cause here's the other thing with NKU right now. We, I'm calling games too. So like if I get to go <laughs> call an NCAA championship game along with it, I think I might trade that experience out for the five grand. Well, here's the thing. And, and I'm not going to give away how you're paid, but you're paid by the game. So you would also make more money the further they went. Right. Cause you'd get more games. Right. So you'd make some money doing that. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, again, I think, uh, I think I would choose NKU to win a national championship. That, that's a win for you. Yeah, exactly. That is, uh, that, that is true. That's partly rooting for myself again. So you're right. Um, all right. Our guy, Mo Egger, comes in to finish this segment of Ask Skinny Anything off. He Love said, our guy, Mo Egger. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate him uh, listening, which I don't know what he's do- He needs to do better things with this time. Um, last week, you discussed going to movies alone. He said he's a big going to movies alone guy. He asked if we'll please weigh in on your willingness, unwillingness to engage in the following activities alone. Going on vacation? What do you think about that? Going on vacation alone, would you do it? Check. (laughs) Eating at a nice restaurant? Mm, No, I don't think I, yeah, no. I like the camaraderie of mealtime, so I'd say no. I think I could do the vacation thing. I've never done it yet. I think I could though. Uh, but the eating out, I I will never go out to eat by myself. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm not sure. I, I I can probably count on my hand the number of times. It's usually when probably the rest of my family's been out of town that I've actually gone 
to a restaurant to sit down and eat by myself. And when I've done that, I can honestly tell you it's probably been a B-dubs or a wing place where I've just gone to have some wings, watch a game, drink a couple of beers, and then go back home. But no, dining at a nice restaurant by myself, no, I wouldn't yeah. do that. Yeah, I don't even really like going to like a local pub to watch games by myself. And yeah, I don't either. Beer. I'm with like, you. I'm, yeah, I'm with I pretty you. much always yeah. have to meet somebody else to do that. But yeah, I don't I'm know why. You. It's just I'm with uh, you. attending a sporting event. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got I don't, no problem with that. I don't think I've done that, but I think I would. Um, yeah, I, got, I, I, I think I'd like that. I'm trying to think if I've done that. I, I, I'm sure I have. Well, I, I, I know I have because I've gone to some events where um, I've covered a game like in an NCAA tournament or actually, you know, a doubleheader game where what, the team I'm covering plays in game two or whatever. I'll sit there and watch game one and just watch it. I guess I'm not a fan at that point. I'm still kind of working. But, yeah, I'd do, I'd do that in a heartbeat, sure. Yeah, I, th- I think I would, but I don't think I have. Uh, going to a concert, I would not do this. I would not go to a concert alone. No, yeah, no, no, no. I, I yeah, I, I, I've never done that. I don't think I'd do that either. Yeah. Although, uh, Tony Bennett by yourself? Nah, probably not. Nah. <laughs> Rick Ross by yourself. There you go. Rick Ross uh, by yourself. Visiting an amusement park. Ah, boy, I hate amusement parks with a passion. So I. So say, you're not doing that either, what? <laughs> I mean, really, the only time I've done it is with my kids for the most part. I did it when I was younger, but usually it was with a date or your friends, right? So, yeah, I'm going to say no, not going to do it. Wouldn't do I, it. I would love to just see footage of you, like uh, uh, spy cam footage of you walking into Kings Island by yourself just for the afternoon. Yeah, there's no way <laughs> I'm standing spend in that the day. day. Yeah, I'm not going to stand in the line for the beast for an hour by myself just to ride it for two minutes. I would have to have a major reason, which is my child wants to go on it and needs dad to go with him. Seeing you with your arms up screaming at the top of your lungs as you go down a hill is footage <laughs> I need. We need the GoPro. Uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't say I'm anti-amusement park. I mean, with your kids, it's one thing, but you also know you're kind of there for them as much as anything else. And it's not like you get on a roller coaster and have a bad time um, or you ride down Splash Mountain and have a bad time, but it's it's not on my list of things that I'd really want to do. I mean, I can remember one of the Disney trips, man, at the very end, I was done with it. I'm like, I'm, I think I told you this. I told my wife, I said, you take the kids. I'm going to the ESPN bar and watching games. So I, so I did. I went and watched a bar by myself. I said, I've had enough. I cannot do any more of this. Have a good day. So check. Will eat at a nice restaurant by himself. ESPN. Well, I wouldn't call the ESPN <laughs> Sports Bar a nice restaurant. Hey, the prices you're paying at Disney for ESPN Sports Zone, yeah. that damn be- well better be a nice restaurant at that point. That's, that's, uh, that's a good point. Going to a casino, this one is an absolute yes, 100%. No question. In fact, Prefer. going there to the racetrack by myself, I, I'd rather be by myself. I don't mind going with, with people to the like track one, on occasion. One buddy is the best way to do it. Like one yeah, buddy, but, not but, a group. But but for the most part, it's a solo event. I, I don't need to be with eight people going, who do you like? Who do you want to take? Look, my, my opinion is as good as your opinion. You make your own damn opinion. You go make your own damn bet. I'm not going to tell you, and I'm not going to tell you probably the right answers. So you figure it out yourself. And I like the alone time of it. Yeah. I, this is, that's one thing where I definitely want to be in my own uh, headspace when I'm putting in bets. Um, clubbing, I mean, come on. Mo, Mo hold on. Mo put this list together. I want to know if Mo goes clubbing by himself. I think he's. I want to know if Mo. Like, I want if Mo, Mo. Mo is Mo is a hole in the wall bar kind of guy. I don't think Mo's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna mention this. Mo, you can't tell me you've been in a club more than five times in your life. I'm not I don't think he's been, been more than a time. Yeah, I, yeah. I, unless he unless he got dragged there like a bachelor party to Miami. I don't see right. eighteen going to like Club Cheetah. Or uh, Coconut Joe's or something down in Covington. I no, Mo, Mo likes the Dick. What's what's the Dixie Club there on Dixie Highway? Yeah, the Dixie I, I, Club I, Cafe. 
Yeah, Saddle Club, Dixie Club, those are most kind of places. Those are my kind of places. I like those kind of places too. Right, right. Yeah, most kind of a guy like us. He's not going clubbing. Yeah. I'm not going clubbing. You're not going clubbing. Solo or alone. I spent a little time there in like my high school days, but uh, that was never alone. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Attending an out-of-town wedding when you only know either the bride or the groom. Yeah, especially if it's a friend of the family. I could, yeah, I'd do that. I, I, yeah. don't, I haven't done that, but yeah, if it's a friend, if, it's, if, if it's, you're close enough to be invited to that out-of-town wedding and you're the only one that can go – Maybe your family, you know, the rest of your family can't go for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I kind think, of, I, I kind I, of. Did I don't that. even think that's weird. I was just saying, I don't even think that's weird. I don't either. I went to Jamaica with. I mean, I knew the bride and her family, like her parents and sister, um, but I didn't know anybody else there really. So that was that was pretty extreme trip for uh, not knowing anyone. Although I, I like the Sam Adams commercial with the guy that kind of barges in and your your cousin from Boston. He would be the one guy that he's the guy that comes here like. Who invited this clown? He's by himself. Baba Ganoush, wedding crashers, baby. Baba Ganoush, yep. That's exactly it. <laughs> all right, that does it. That's all we've got here for Love uh, that segment of Ask Any Anything. Love it. Good stuff, Rick, as always. We will be back uh, next week for much, much more. Um, we'll have some probably Bengals to talk about. Hopefully we have some good things to talk about about the Reds. We maybe have some more clarity when it comes to college sports, but probably not. But we'll always have some stuff to talk about. And hopefully – Hopefully we can talk about a winning PGA championship better too, Rick. Hopefully you have a little more cash in your pocket or in your account. I hope so. All right. Thanks to Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, a weekly potpourri edition.